Please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. Matthew, chapter 11, I would like to finish up this chapter today. We'll pick it up in verse 16 through the end of the chapter. I've entitled today's message, Don't Miss Your Invitation. Don't Miss Your Invitation. I'm sure you'll remember these words of Jesus taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This opportunity, this invitation, Jesus, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. And I'm, I, I'm inviting you to allow me to come into your life and to fellowship with you. And, and Jesus says, anyone who hears and opens the door, this is your opportunity. And the psalmist would write these words, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, the Lord knocks and the Lord speaks. And for those that open, he comes. That's the invitation to have Jesus in your life. But those that harden, those that keep the door closed, they miss that invitation. They miss that opportunity. If you remember that uh, in our text here, in our context, that many in Jesus's generation were missing the message and the ministry of Jesus. Think of the opportunity to have seen Jesus in person, to have him hear him teach in the flesh. To see the miracles and some of the mighty works of God that were worked through him. And yet to not see and respond in faith to the opportunity that he would give his own people during that time. And it's not because they didn't hear him. It's not because they didn't see him. But for reasons of the heart, they missed their moment. They missed their visitation. They missed their invitation. And I think... Today, even in our generation, there are many for the same issues of the heart that are not responding to Jesus, not responding to the loving invitation he gives to come into a personal relationship with the true and living God. You remember last week we we saw how Jesus spoke to the disciples of John the Baptist and he said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And we looked at some of the things that discourage hearts and and cause people to be kind of uh, disenchanted with Jesus. It can happen even to God's people. Don't let circumstance, discouragement or disappointment cause you to miss the blessing that God has for you in Christ. Don't be offended with the way the Lord works. And now Jesus speaks to the larger audience of his generation. He's there in the cities surrounding Galilee and he's ministering. And now he wants to speak very specifically to some of the heart conditions that he is finding there in his generation in these communities. Take a look with me now. The first thing we notice Jesus speaks to in verse 16 is he likens this generation to a fickle and critical children, fickle and critical children. But to what shall I liken this generation It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John, that is John the Baptist, came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
But wisdom is justified by her children. Like fickle children, unwilling to play a game unless it's according to their rules. It's like I'm taking my game and going home if you don't play it according to the way I want to play. Jesus likens this generation, this this group of, of unwilling, uncooperative children. They cannot be made happy. They become critical and impossible to please. I'm sure you've had experiences with a child when they get cranky and pouty and tired. Nothing makes them happy, right? Let's do this. No, I don't want to do that. Okay, then let's do this. No, I really don't want to do that either. What do you want? I don't know. I just want to be unhappy. And often it leads to a, a critical spirit. And, and, you know, a critical heart, this is the truth, a critical heart will always find some reason to reject or not participate, even in what God is inviting into your life. John the Baptist, they had pro- trouble with him, and then they also had trouble with Jesus. Now, both of these men were true True men of God, weren't they? They were true messengers of God. John, a prophet. Jesus, the son of God himself. But they were both very different in their ministry style and personality and character, weren't they? I mean, John the Baptist, he was, uh, he was a very intense guy. I mean, he, he lived a life of self-denial to the extreme, extreme dedication to the Lord in his calling and in his life. He lived out in the desert. He ate uh, locusts and wild honey. That was his, those were his meals. He had camel skin for clothing. He preached a strong message of repentance and a sincere turning of the heart back to the Lord to make the crooked ways straight, to prepare the way for Jesus. But his ministry was criticized. He, he's too serious. He's too radical. He dresses weird. He, he, he had committed himself to a Nazarite vow. He never shaved or cut his hair. He's out living with camel skin. They, this guy's got like a demon. There's something wrong with him. And they found reason to criticize even a true prophet of God. And then here comes Jesus, the son of God himself. And Jesus came up really a very much a common man in the community. He was the son of a carpenter. He grew up amongst the, the community there in Nazareth. And he came really and visited and was open. He would attend weddings, uh, you know, quite different from John the Baptist, who was removed and remote. Jesus was very engaged and very, very open hearted. He would show compassion and care for the common man. He reached out to the sinners and the downcast, even having meals with tax collectors and unseemly sorts. Well, guess what? They, they didn't want his ministry either. He's, he's too casual. He's too approachable, even by sinners. He dines and associates with a very questionable group. He's not like us. He doesn't recognize our religious standing and principles. I mean, we at least fast and take our religion seriously. He's out partying with the tax collectors. So it's like you can't make them happy. There's always something they can find to criticize and reject the invitation that God was making through these men, through these messengers. In a sense, they were only interested in a Jesus who would respond to their sensibilities, to their wants, to their wishes. We played the flute and you didn't dance for us. Looking for God to dance to their tune. 
I'll accept God. I'll come to God if he comes on my terms and comes to my, with, with my ideas firmly in place. Otherwise, I'll find reason to criticize. And you know this exists today as well, doesn't it? Many people find critical reasons to reject the message of Christ. They find all kinds of reasons to criticize church and pastors and ministers. Uh, you know, the whole idea of Jesus being the only way, that's too narrow, that's too restrictive. Even if I was to believe in God, I wouldn't believe in that kind of a God. And so they find reasons to reject the very Savior of the Lord, reasons to reject not only his message, but also his messengers. But Jesus says something at the end of this, this paragraph, but wisdom, true wisdom, is justified by her children. You see, oftentimes criticism really finds its roots in pride. I think I'm wiser than God. I think God should do it this way. I think God should save this way. I think I ought to be able to be allowed to come to God in this fashion. I don't think it should be so restrictive. I don't think it should be just only Jesus. I don't think it should be just this kind of intolerant view of sin. I think God should be more accommodating. I'm, I, I want my wisdom to kind of be put a, placed above the wisdom of God. But Jesus said, look, true wisdom is justified by wise actions, her children. True wisdom will produce a certain fruit. True, true wisdom in, would embrace both John and Jesus as ministers of God. In thinking you're wise and critical and discerning, you're missing God. And if you were truly wise, you would not only see John the Baptist ministry as of being of the Lord, but also the ministry of Jesus. True wisdom would humble and embrace God's message and God's messengers. I want to share this verse with you, a passage with you out of James chapter 3. I'll have this for you on the overhead. Listen to what James says about wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness and the humility of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is what true wisdom looks like. Not the self-proclaimed wisdom of the day, but the real humble wisdom that is willing to yield to the truth of God. And true wisdom does not manifest itself in criticism. Rather, it manifests itself in the love and character of Christ. Let's move on in our text back to Matthew. Pick it up with me in verse 20. The second attitude of the heart that Jesus calls out here is an attitude of indifference and lack of repentance or a lack of meaningful change. Verse 20, then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, 
they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Jesus rebukes these cities where he had ministered. He had demonstrated mighty works in these places. They saw miracles. They came out in large numbers to hear his teaching. The scripture says they were amazed at the authority in which he taught. They heard the message, Capernaum. Capernaum was his ministry base. That's where he called Peter and John and the fishermen those, and Matthew, the tax collector. This was his headquarters of ministry. And in many times he taught there in the synagogue and performed. They saw signs and wonders there in Capernaum. They had maybe more of his time and, and, and presence than so, many of the other cities. And Jesus says, yet you did not repent. There was no response, no real change. You probably heard this. You know, if I could just see a miracle, I, 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 I'd turn my heart. Well, these people saw the miracles and they, they gave no response. And Jesus is rebuking them. These cities are all gone, by the way. None of these cities exist today. But he compares them. He compares them with even these pagan Gentile cities that had hardly any uh, opportunity to see or hear of Jesus. He compares them with Tyre and Sidon. This is a Gentile city up there in modern day Lebanon. They knew nothing of Jesus or his ministry. And Jesus says, if they had, they would have responded better than you, cities of Galilee. And he compares, of course, Capernaum. With, with Sodom. Now, we all know Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the story of God's judgment upon Sodom. And Jesus, what a statement. You know what? If Sodom had seen the things that you have seen, Capernaum, Sodom would still be around today. They would have responded to the light that you have not responded to. This indifference. They, if, if they had had the same witness, they would have responded far long ago. Repentance is what's missing. True change of heart. Turning from their own way and turning to God through faith and belief in Christ. Now, they didn't persecute Jesus. These were not the cities that resisted him. They simply ignored him. They simply let him come and, and show his, his light. And then they just went right on about their business. The sin of indifference, the sin of not recognizing and not responding to the light and the opportunity that they had. You know, you can hear sermon after sermon and it not affect you. You can be exposed to Christians. You can grow up amongst a Christian witness at work, in home. But if it does not produce a change of heart, if it never uh, translates into a true response of faith, You stand condemned just like these cities of Jesus' day without repentance, without a true turning. And that's what repentance is, turning from the way that I'm going and turning my heart to God, responding to Christ. Who else could do these things? Who else can teach these truths? And you come to faith in Christ because of the witness, because of the light. Instead, they became accountable for the witness that they ignored. So Jesus says something very interesting to both 
to all of these cities. He said, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for these other cities than for you in the day of judgment. In other words, you're going to be held accountable for the way, the opportunity that you had and ignored. It's going to be more tolerable for others in judgment than it will be for you. Now, we know that God has a variety of rewards for those who, of us who are going to heaven. Right? Jesus taught that. The Apostle Paul taught that. That, that when you get to heaven, all, even though all of us will be grateful to be there, there will be rewards. Those that were more faithful, more, more given to the, to the work and the, and the purposes of God, they will, they will not go without reward. There will be a, a, a difference of reward in heaven. Jesus is pointing out something here also. Just as there is a difference of reward for those in heaven, there is also a difference in judgment and degrees of punishment for those who are eternally separated from God in hell. And we don't understand how those details will work out. Hell's going to be bad for everybody. But Jesus is saying, look, uh, for those that really had opportunity and really had light, you're going, it's going to be even more it's going to be more tolerable for the others than it is for you. God is going to hold you accountable for the light that you had and the way you rejected it. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Light comes, but light brings accountability. And with this message, with the truth of Christ, comes the opportunity to respond. And if it's rejected, there is accountability that comes with that. Finally, let's finish up these verses today. Jesus moves now into what I think is a very sincere invitation to come to Jesus. As if he's saying, listen, you guys are missing your opportunity. I don't want you to miss this. Come, come to me now. Verse 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father. He goes into prayer. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, that is, the wise and prudent in their own mind and estimation, and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son." And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, first of all, thanks the Father that he has hidden these truths from those who are blinded by their own pride and their own wisdom and prudence. They don't think they have need of saving. I'm a good person. I don't need a Jesus. Oh, I can be entertained by him. Oh, I have an interest. I want to see a miracle. I'd like to hear a message, but I don't need to, to change my life. I'm going to continue because I'm okay and I'm good. And I'm okay with that. And Jesus said, Lord, you have actually hidden that their pride has blinded them from their need of Jesus and a true Savior. And the truth has been hidden from them, but it has been revealed to the humble, to the babes. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognize their, their need of, of God's mercy and love and grace in their life. Jesus said, 
you need to be like a little child, the faith of a child who innocently and lovingly trusts. That's the way you need to come to God. And that's those are the hearts that God is opening up these truths to. And he said, no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son. This reminds us of what Jesus would say in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. As if Jesus is saying, look, there's no other invitation coming. You who think you're too, you're, you can be critical of this opportunity. There is no other opportunity I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one else knows the Son but the Father, and no one knows the Father like the Son. This is your moment. This is your invitation to come and make peace with God. And he goes on in verse 28, come. As if to summarize all of this, you feel the heart of God pouring out now an invitation. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me if you are in labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know what is laborsome and heavy laden? Living for yourself, living under self-sufficiency, living without God living outside the very divine purpose for which you were created, rejecting God, doing your own thing, going your own way, chasing your own passions, your own efforts, your own, your own self-will. That is something of a burden. That is something of a heavy load. It ends in frustration, often in emptiness. It ends in guilt and shame. It ends in all kinds of of. Grieving, uh, grieving of soul and spirit. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've had some, maybe you've carried some of that heavy load and burden in your lifetime. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you are feeling overwhelmed and burdened with your own doing, your own ways. And it's like, I, I, I'm sick of this. I want, I'm ready for this to end. And Jesus says, come, come to me and I will give you rest. A rest that comes with the forgiveness of all your sin. A rest that comes when, when you make peace with God. You're the one who made you, the one who loves you, the one who created you. Finally, you've come to Him and there is peace between you and Him through Christ. And that is a rest, that is a peace that passes understanding, a comfort of love, a promise of eternal life. Jesus had come. What I have for you is rest compared to the burden and labor of living your life for yourself. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, you know, a yoke, a yoke was what they put on the animal to help him uh, to, to guide him in his productive work in the field. And Jesus is communicating something here. Hey, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You're out trying to do your thing. You're out, you think you're free. You're out trying to live for yourself and it's ending in, in emptiness and frustration and misery. And you think that by coming to God, somehow you're going to be restricted and you're going to be, you know, your life's going to be kind of hemmed in. Jesus says, learn from me. I have come. What's, what was Jesus' yoke? 
to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus said, look, I'm not here doing my thing. I'm here living out the Father's plan and purpose for my life. Come, take this yoke. Take God's plan and purpose for your life upon your heart. The very thing that God has perfectly custom made for you. This is a yoke that is fit ideally for you and you alone. The very reason you were, you were, you're on the earth. The very purpose that God has for your life. Learn from me. I came to do the will of him. I'm gentle and lowly. I'm humble. I'm submitted. I'm not chafing. I'm not fighting God. I'm not out trying to make my own way. That's a burden. That's, that's restlessness. It's empty. Come and find the purpose for which God has created you. Isn't that the sweet spot? Isn't that the place we want to live? Isn't that the real rest when, I, when I'm doing the very thing that God has called me to do in this life? To live for him? To glorify him with my life? Is there a higher calling? Is there a higher purpose? There is nothing that compares with finding the yoke of Jesus to submit and surrender your life. You're not going to find true rest and fulfillment in anything or in any place else. Come to Jesus. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. God is not looking to, to bury us with, with some restrictive duty. He's looking to empower us with grace. To live the life we're destined to live. The good works that have been prepared before eternity. For us. For you. My love will guide you and motivate you. You'll be empowered by my spirit. You know, if you're trying to serve the Lord, and this, this could happen even as for Christians, you know, we, we take on this, this burden. Okay, I've got to serve the Lord. It's all duty. It's all, oh, it's horrible. It's terrible. It's all hard work. And, oh, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to strive. You know, that, that, that's, not, that's not the yoke Jesus describes. He says, no, no, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You may be, you may be putting yourself under a yoke. It can even happen in a religious way where you're trying to, to kind of do the work that God hasn't even called you to do. That's not even your yoke. That's not even your field. What are you doing over there? Settle your heart in Jesus. Find that place of grace. Now, is it, is it wrong to have passion and strong conviction? No, these are good things. But it is wrong to be burdened in, in drudgery trying to serve the Lord. That's not the kind of yoke Jesus is defining. You know, when you really are operating in something out of a, that's motivated by love, is it really work? Is it really hard to, to love on the Lord and to obey the Lord and serve the Lord out of a gratitude and out of a joy and a thanksgiving and because he loves you and you love him? Is that work? Is that hard? I remind you of uh, Jacob. Some of you may remember the story of Jacob. Uh, he went and met Rachel, fell in love with her, you know, love at first sight, wanted to marry Rachel. And Rachel's father, Laban, said, sure, sure, you can marry her, but you've got to serve me for seven years. And you remember, he served him for seven years. And then in the middle of the night, he swapped Rachel out for Leah, the sister. That's not what he bargained for. He wakes up in the morning and it's, got, it's not Rachel. And he says, this is not fair. And Laban says, well, okay, but she was the firstborn. Here, I'll tell you what. Work another seven years, and then you can have Rachel. So 
a total of 14 years, but he, he ended up having to serve Laban another seven years. Here's what the scripture says, Genesis 29:20. 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. You see, when love is driving the heart, it, it's not work. It's, it's opportunity. It's, it's service unto God. It's pursuing that which you love the most. When the, passion of, when the master passion of your life is Jesus, living for him is not work. It's not hard labor. I'm going to be married uh, 32 years in June. I, I want to build, build some points for that, so honey... It seems like just a few days. (laughs) You know, when when love is the motivator, it's not hard work. I'll close with this verse out of first John, chapter five, verse three. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. God has something good. Jesus has come. Come and find rest. Come and take the yoke that has been built just for you and find fulfillment and joy and peace and eternal life with me. What an offer. Don't miss that invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this passage that just encourages our hearts to be responsive to the light and the love and the witness of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those that know you that we would really come to that place of rest. And that rest is found in in really in relationship with you and in serving you, allowing you to yoke and direct and Lord our life. And Lord, I'm also mindful today of those that are here that may not have a personal relationship with you. There may be some here today, you've, you've had a great witness of the light. You've heard of Jesus. You've seen his handiwork in the lives of others. And something of this truth is hitting your heart today. And you know that it's true. You know he's inviting you. You know he's knocking on your heart right now. I want to encourage you, don't harden your heart. Don't put it off. Don't find some reason to, 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 to deflect. No, now's the time. Today's the day. Give your life to the Lord. Come to him and find rest. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you want to receive Christ today, you want to respond to this invitation, I want to pray for you. We're going to take communion here in just a moment. But before we do, I want to pray for those that might be here among us that that want to respond to this invitation. They want to come to Jesus and receive the love and the forgiveness and the rest that he has. I'm also mindful of those that may be here today. You do know the Lord. You've tasted of that rest. You know relationship with him, but your heart has drifted. You've gotten off course. You've forgotten the calling. You've forgotten the the yoke of rest and blessing. And you're out again striving under your own power and chasing maybe a different passion. You're out distracted with your own way again. And you need to come back to the Lord and re-surrender, recommit, rededicate, if you will, your heart to Jesus. 
Can you hear his heart for you? Come. Come. Learn of me. Trust me. I'm of a humble heart. I'll love you. I'll embrace you. So if you're here today and you want to receive Jesus for the very first time or you want to come back to Jesus and rededicate your life to him, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand where you're seated and I'm going to pray for you. A couple hands here in the front. God bless you, sir. They're over on my right. Any others? Hand in the center. Over on my left. God bless you, sir. Front there. Anybody else? We're going to partake communion. God bless you. Amen. What a great place to meet the Lord at his table. At the remembrance of what he's done for you at the cross. Anyone else before I pray for these? So let me see your hand. Raise it high and let's pray. God bless you. My left. Far right as well. In the center, the right section, my right. God bless you. Back right, all the way back there. God bless you as well. Just before I pray, anyone else? Way back in the center section, amen. Don't miss your invitation. He loves you. So Lord, these hearts that have responded to you today, we... We ask that you would meet them in the love and the compassion and the grace that you have for them. Lord, it is you knocking on the door of their heart. And today we simply open up and we say, come in, Lord. Come in and dine with me. Come in and make your home with me. Come and have your way. Lord, yoke me up to your purpose, to your calling. Hook me up with your plan and purpose for my life. Forgive me of my sin. Not because I deserve it, but because you love me and you died for my my sins on the cross. I believe that you died and rose again for me. And that my sins are forgiven. And that in this place of relationship with you for the first time, I am finding rest for my soul. Peace with God. Fullness of joy. Minister these things into the heart of those that have responded today, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.